Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Jamie, yeah, I have a secret recipe for my pizza, but I can't tell you yet. Why? I don't know. I'm not retired. Are the reasons unclear? It's just a secret, okay? <laughs> it's just a secret. Oh, you know what? I've heard, and I think what the actual reason would be, mm. it's that a woman's heart is an ocean full of secrets. <laughs> Including, is that what Rose DeWitt Picator was talking about at the end of Titanic? (laughs) Is the pizza sauce from Mystic Pizza? Exactly what she's talking about. (laughs) I bet she's a big fan of that movie, honestly. Oh, she could have seen it. Wow, that's so interesting to think about. Rose DeWitt Picator, canonically, could have seen Mystic Pizza. Mm -hmm. She seems like she would go to the movies. She's a a regular lady. I bet her and her, her granddaughter went. Oh, her, wow. Yeah, I mean, her granddaughter seems like she would have been like the target demo, especially mm-hmm. in 1988. I mean, she certainly loved to tease her hair, much like <laughs> Julia Roberts. They're, wow. Okay, well, you know what? Here's here's something. Here's something mm-hmm. that's going to pass the Bechdel cat test. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I don't give a shit what's in your face and sauce, Caitlin. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I'm not interested. Uh, that is my feminism. <laughs> I understand. That's that's perfectly okay. Wow. Well, pass the test. <laughs> Welcome to the Bechdel cast, which is the name of the podcast, which is about the Bechdel test. Sort of. I mean, barely. Well, yes and no. <laughs> It's mostly about pizza sauce and what's in it. (laughs) And women's hearts being deep oceans of secrets. I feel like the secret ingredient to everything is like Thousand Island dressing, but that that couldn't be the case in this case. Or I hope not. Unless. (laughs) Unless. Unless it's Thousand Island dressing. I'll never tell. This is our this is our podcast uh, (laughs) where we take a look at your favorite movies using an intersectional 
feminist lens. Yes. And we do use the Bechdel test simply as a jumping off point to inspire a larger conversation. And the Bechdel test is, of course, a media metric created by queer cartoonist Alison Bechdel, sometimes called the Bechdel-Wallace test, in which our variation on the test is two people of a marginalized gender have Mm -hmm. to have names, have to speak to each other, and that conversation has to be about something other than a man. Slash, again, another little twist we have on it is, does it fit those criteria? And also, is it a meaningful conversation to the narrative? Or is it a quick exchange that could easily be removed from the story and nothing would be changed? Yeah. Fortunately... Not too much to worry about today. Although, right. you know, we'll talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and we have an incredible guest, per huge, to talk about this genuinely lovely movie. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to talk about it. And our guest yeah. is a writer and illustrator. Her work has been featured in The New Yorker, The New York Times. She has a new book out right now called Directions. It's available wherever books are sold. It's Hallie Bateman. Welcome. Hi. Welcome. Thanks for being here. I'm so happy to be here. We're really happy to have you. And you brought us Mystic Pizza. You brought us actual Mystic Pizza. Oh, yummy, yummy. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's scrumptious. <laughs> I came with pizza. I don't like to come empty handed, you know. We appreciate it. We thought it was really, really kind of you to do. God, I feel like, yeah, we're just like LARPing being able to see people right now. (laughs) Wow. Thank you so much for bringing the pizza. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Um, Tell us about your relationship, your history with the movie Mystic Pizza. Yeah. So my story with Mystic Pizza is just that it was like love at first viewing. I just loved this movie from the first time I saw it. I think Mm -hmm. that was, I don't remember exactly how old I was. I think it was like late high school, early college, like Mm. came across it somehow. And it wasn't like I saw it and I was immediately like, oh, this is my favorite movie. It was just the kind of thing that like every time I like rewatched it or like revisited it, I was like, oh, this is like my favorite movie. Like this just movie just is good. And I, and surprising and like, I have a huge affinity for like Gilmore Girls. Like I'm a real Gilmore Girls Mm. obsessive. So the sort of like East Coast like environment, like I grew up like on the mountain in the boonies in the West Coast. So there was something very like appealing and like different about like lobsters and like the Atlantic (laughs) Ocean that was just like so exotic to me. And so and I love like cable knit sweaters and like fall leaves so it's just got the whole package plus like julia roberts Mm. i I mean it's just it's a sexual awakening (laughs) in a movie her hair is so big i love it there's an entire like hole in the ozone layer dedicated to her (laughs) her hair her hair has like a metamorphosis throughout the movie like it's yeah it's incredible yeah i kind of hope that look comes back I, I was as I was watching it I'm like mm, teased hair it's time it's time I'm ready Jamie I think you could really get this trend started again I have really messy hair it would be, it would be a trend that would work in my favor right I do think she pulls it off like better than I anyone else has I mean true it's a hard look to land <laughs> yeah she nails it though she does uh Jamie what's your relationship with this movie um, I had never seen this movie before, which is 
I kind of, I guess I'm kind of surprised. I, I, I've seen a lot of rom-coms and this movie, I grew up in New England. And so I don't know why I wasn't like held down and made to watch this movie as a kid, <laughs> but it wasn't, but I really, really enjoyed it. There were like, I don't, I don't know, like because the movie came out in 88, I was just like, well, you know, we'll see how this holds up. And I definitely have some, you know, like thoughts on it. But in general, I thought it was a really well-written and, and thoughtful movie that reminded me, I guess I'm a little biased because it's like three poor, like friends who are all like sort of related, but sort of not reminds me a lot of my childhood. And, and Mystic reminds me a lot of where my mom lives, which is like a fishing town in Massachusetts with a huge wealth gap. Mm. Whoa. Because my mom famously loves to date lobster fishermen. And so a lot <laughs> of this was ringing some bells. Mm. I was like, oh, yeah, like just like bougie people walking among the regular people and being like, wow, this is so cute is like something that is uh, very recognizable to me. Wow. I don't know. So I liked I, I I felt like this movie captured that in a in a really cool way. Uh, Caitlin, what's your history with this movie? I also had never seen this movie. I will say it's the type of movie that I'm not generally drawn toward. Like I like a, a good character driven movie here and there, but I also tend to prefer you know adventures and and romps and and such, of course. So I wasn't sure if I would like this or not, but then I was very much taken by surprise in that I did like it a lot. And I, uh, yeah, I think it holds up pretty well for a movie from the 80s. Mm -hmm. I love Jojo. I did take a, not a BuzzFeed quiz, but like a similar quiz. It was like zoo.com. <laughs> I was like, Caitlin, where did you find this website? I just Googled like BuzzFeed <laughs> mystic pizza question mark. Zoo.com. And this quiz came up. I did get Jojo as which mystic pizza character are you? So I was very pleased with the results. I got cat. Wow. Mm -hmm. So that makes me Julia, I feel like. And I'm <laughs> there by, by default. I Ooh. guess I'm fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> or this recording really isn't going to work. <laughs> it's like when you're doing a Sex in the City like joke with your friends and you're naming who each one is and then whoever's left over just has to be the fourth character. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I was pleasantly surprised with this movie. I have been to Mystic Seaport before. Ooh. So I've been to this town. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah. I went with my family uh, sometime in elementary school. Um, and I do have a memory of this place. So, did you go to the pizzeria? No, okay, um, we, we did not. I'm I'm so sorry. That's okay. Go back though. <laughs> I I wonder. Yeah, I wonder how. I mean, <laughs> Hallie and I apparently both today were on the official Mystic Pizza location website <laughs> to try to get T-shirts that are like the ones in the movie. And uh, it seems like yeah, it's become a real like. The movie made the pizza place like more famous and they just leaned into it. They're like, yeah, whatever the movie said, that's what it's like. But the the movie would not exist without the pizzeria. Exactly. <gasps> Which is like a, a, a wild confluence of events. Right. It's like a chicken mm -hmm. and egg. But like, mm -hmm. wow. Which came first? It was the pizzeria. <laughs> <laughs> uh, should I do the recap and we'll go from there? Yeah, let's do it. So we are in Mystic, Connecticut, which is a small fishing community 
with a significant population of Portuguese-American families. Mm. The movie focuses on three best friends, two who are sisters, Daisy and Kat Arujo, who are played by Julia Roberts and Annabeth Gish, respectively. Mm -hmm. Uh, They are good friends with Jojo Barboza, who is played by Lily Taylor. We open on Jojo's wedding to Bill... And that is Vincent D'Onofrio. Young Vincent D'Onofrio. I wasn't prepared. Same. Yeah. (laughs) He's so huge. He's such a huge man. I was trying to rack my brain and I'm like, have I seen him in anything else besides the like alien villain in Men in Black? Ooh. (laughs) I'd seen him in Law and Order Criminal Intent with my Mm. mom. Okay. That's where I'd seen him. Great. But I'm looking where where is he at? He was in Full Metal Jacket, haven't seen it. He oh. was in a show called The Series. In Don't know. Okay. In uh, Men in Black is he the guy who says sugar water? Correct. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's an iconic performance that my brothers and I were absolutely obsessed with replicating, so that's yes. very dear to my I heart. I think that's him, right? Now I'm going to be embarrassed if it's not. I'm pretty sure. Wait, now I have to, not me Googling Vincent D'Onofrio sugar <laughs> well, water. It's also like his face like stretched over an alien at that point. Yes, it is. He is mm-hmm. the sugar water guy. Okay, that's what I thought. Oh, yes. cool. There's a whole Vulture article about it. Vincent D'Onofrio's Men in Black, a sugar water oral history. Wow. Okay, so <laughs> obviously it's like a yeah. cultural touchstone <laughs> that a lot of people are into. Sugar Water's impact was felt more than I could have imagined. And then also, I wasn't ready for baby Matt Damon in this. I know. His first yeah. film appearance, I believe. Yeah. So, such a baby. Oh, little, little yuppie. But also, like, could be the same character from Goodwill Hunting based on geography. Like, he was, you know... <gasps> He was Whoa. on the East Coast. Like, it could be, like, young Will, you know? Maybe. He could be, like, what is that other movie? He could be fantastic Mr. Ripley-ing and, like, has a yeah. fake identity. Oh, t- a talented Mr. Ripley, yeah. Talented Mr. <laughs> I was thinking of fantastic Mr. Fox. You know what? <laughs> Let's just recap the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so um, we open on JoJo's wedding to Bill. She faints, because women be fainting. Women be fainting. But she faints uh, for a funny reason. She faints at the thought of a long-term commitment, and the wedding gets called off. That priest in that scene was cracking me up. Like, <laughs> the, he, that, that guy gave a performance of, mm-hmm. like, what, I, I didn't write down any of the quotes, but it's like, you will be together until your last breath. <laughs> like, so good. And then like Jojo's face is so good. She just looks not like she's like absolutely like paralyzed with fear. And I love that it's like the music and like the camera being like first person just makes it like a full horror movie. Like her mm-hmm. wedding day. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Also, was there only one style of bridesmaids dress for the entire decade of the 80s? I feel like we have seen that exact dress in so and including like my parents wedding too. Wow. It just seems like it's not just in movies like that. I, you know, no disrespect to people who would wear that dress, but that hideous dress has been worn by so many people. It's like, just it's like just... flammable fabric, like whatever it is, it just looks like it would catch on fire really easily. I, I, it's shocking to me. Like, even if it's a rich person's wedding, they have that dress. If it's a poor person's wedding, they have that dress. Like, it just yeah. everyone wore that ugly ass dress. Mm-hmm. Mystery. Oh, the 80s. 
I know, truly. <laughs> uh, so then we cut to Daisy, Cat, and JoJo at work. They all work at this place called Mystic Pizza, mm. uh, which is owned by Liana, played by Conchata Farrell. R.I.P. R.I.P. Daisy's whole thing is that she's kind of crass. She swears. She's a big flirt. Uh, her sister, Cat, by comparison, is far more modest and reserved. She's like the good girl of the family. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like Jojo, uh, how to describe her? She's she's wacky. She has a bit of a frantic energy. Bill is humiliated about the wedding and how it went wrong, but he still wants to get married. And Jojo's like, uh, you know, I do love you, Bill, but I don't know about this whole marriage thing. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Kat gets a second job working for this guy, Tim Travers, babysitting for his young daughter, Phoebe. Tim is also just like an- another person who like only could have existed in the 80s, just like looks wise. You're like, <laughs> where did all those people go that looked exactly that way? I, ha- I hate Tim. Fuck Tim. Yes. Yeah. Tim is absolutely trash. Um, okay, so she gets a job babysitting while Tim's wife, his wife, is working overseas uh, because she's trying to save up money because she got into Yale to study astronomy and she and her friends are all working class. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, affording Yale will not be the easiest thing for Kat. Mm-hmm. You know, who's not working class is this guy, Charlie Windsor Jr. or whatever yeah. the shit. He's got like 500 names. I can't stand him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's this rich yuppie kid who one night comes into a bar where Daisy Cat and Jojo are hanging out. And Daisy thinks he's cute. And he takes a liking to Daisy and asks her to play pool with him, which she's really good at. That scene is so fun. Yeah. And then Charlie's like, boing. (laughs) (laughs) But then his rich yuppie friends are like, let's get out of here. So then he leaves. Lorna. Do you guys remember Lorna? Lorna. One of the women that he's with. who's just like, why? Why can't we play pool at my house? It's like (laughs) she has a pool table. It's like, shut up, Lorna. I thought it was so like there. It was really funny that it was like they came in and they ordered wine at a bar. And then (laughs) the three girl, the like uh, Daisy gets so upset. She's like, what the fuck? How dare they? (laughs) It is. It's as as uh, someone who's frequented townie bars. I'm like, that tracks. That tracks. That's Mm -hmm. not the place to order white wine. Right. Then we get a scene where Daisy, Cat, and Joe are just hanging out. They're talking about their futures. Daisy feels kind of aimless. And then a few days later, Daisy comes home, and there's Charlie talking to her mom. And Shemi tests that one. <laughs> I don't think it does very well. Mm-mm. Love when someone just shows up. Yeah, he had to have stalked her or correct detectived her. I don't know. Right, like even like for sure, he just had to stalk. But it's like in a way that would be. I mean, it's hard. It's thankfully hard to find out what someone's address is now. But you have to imagine it would have been even harder in 1988. Like. Well, how did he I don't know maybe it's a rich person thing and he's just like you're a hard woman to track down or yeah. something but then it's funny that she's almost like not surprised she's just like yeah men 
men track me down all the time. <laughs> You're like, this is scary. This is scary. <laughs> and also her mom, I would be very protective of my daughter if some random guy just showed up and was like, I'm just here for your daughter. Right. Who I've like barely actually ever spoken to. And then he like insults her mom and he's like, your mom needs, needs a, a drink. drink. <laughs> I'm like, you did look at what you're doing um that was like one of the more 80s moments of this i'm like oh we're just gonna let this fly right by okay got it (laughs) yeah and then he takes daisy out on a date in his red porsche they get to know each other turns out that he's an ivy league school dropout Meanwhile, Kat has been chatting with Tim Travers, the guy that she babysits for, and it seems like maybe something's developing there. Then back at Mystic Pizza, they watch this restaurant critic on TV who tends to give, you know, scathing reviews, and they think that they should invite him to Mystic Pizza to try their signature pizza. Also, Leona has a secret recipe for the pizza, Um, But Leona's like, this guy's a pretentious moron. We're not going to have him here. Yeah. So then Daisy and Charlie get closer. Kat and Tim are clearly developing feelings toward each other. Jojo and Bill are trying to reconnect. She is very horny for him. He doesn't get why she won't marry him. She's horny for his wrists. (laughs) Yes. Well, I do really appreciate how they just like blatantly objectify bill in the scene where like jojo is just like oh my god in his body like it's just like it's it's right because later he's like you only like me for my dick and she's like well i can't argue with that yeah (laughs) that whole yeah that whole storyline was like i was like surprised by it because it's like so often the opposite where it's like she's a prude and he all he wants to do is get her in bed but he's like no the lord doesn't want us to fuck and she's like but i'm horny and you're like god this is such a new england issue he's just like waiting around for her to propose yeah (laughs) yeah yeah his whole thing is like he loves her he wants them to be married and he wants this firm commitment instead of them kind of like sneaking around but then they have a fight because he makes a joke and calls her a nympho which he like plasters on his boat yeah that was uh some projecting on his part (laughs) yeah and then she retaliates by taking his truck and driving it to the country club where daisy sees charlie with another woman So she dumps two, like, 50-gallon barrels of fish from Bill's truck into Charlie's Porsche convertible. But it turns out the woman, this other woman, is Charlie's sister. So Daisy is like, oops. And Charlie's like, you know what? No big deal. I've got so many Porsches. (laughs) Like, he's, like, kind of like, oh, that's funny. And we're like, well, yeah. it's he's not wrong, but it's basically a flirt of that he's just like, oh, she flirted with me. She dumped fish in my Porsche. I I guess she really likes me. Really want to dump fish in someone's car now. It was that was a very cathartic thing to watch, right? So then Bill breaks up with JoJo. You know, she's not sure what she wants exactly. Daisy and Cat get in a fight because Cat has been spending all this time with Tim. And Daisy is kind of sick of everyone acting like Kat is this perfect little angel. 
but she's also looking out for her sister. And then Kat and Tim kiss, and it's implied that they have sex, right? I Yeah. It, it cuts away, but... I think they 100% bone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, in a haunted mansion. In a... <laughs> right. I was like, where is this? There, I hate Tim so much he's the worst yeah he's he the worst. really is the worst kind of person and my only if i if there's i mean there's one thing i would change about this movie is she should have you know i know it was a pride thing but she should have taken that man's money i swear yes. to god mm-hmm. yeah fuck that guy so cat and tim have sex and then later that night they discover that tim's wife has come home from england and cat is heartbroken she feels really foolish Daisy comforts her. And then that pretentious food critic comes into Mystic Pizza and they're all worried about what he's going to think because it maybe seems like he didn't like it. He looks like such a cartoon character. Like <laughs> yes. he's, he's wearing like a bucket hat. <laughs> it's sort of not like visually, but just the whole vibe of it. I'm like, oh, it's like Ratatouille. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Except he looks like Sherlock Holmes for some reason. You reminded me of this. I wonder if this was a reference or if this existed back then, but there used to be this like public access show in New England called Phantom Gourmet. Mm. And it was like a big deal if Phantom Gourmet came to your like local restaurant and they would like broadcast it on the PBS affiliate. And like if you had the Phantom Gourmet sticker, it was like a big deal. This sounds like it's so similar. Yeah. yeah. Right. And like I wonder if they were if if they were hip to Phantom Gourmet because I don't know. I don't know if it was like one person, though. Mystery. I find it interesting that he is like a TV food critic because usually food critics like they like don't want their faces to be known so that restaurants like don't know when they go in. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he's like just on TV. Yeah. The Phantom Gourmet wasn't a person. So that was the whole point is you didn't know who it okay. was. Like okay. it says the Phantom pays his own way and dines under a disguise. <gasps> You're like, it's like Banksy. <laughs> He's the Banksy of New England food critics. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Amazing. Okay, so then Daisy has dinner with Charlie's rich family who, you know, they're, they're snooty and young Matt Damon is there and they say some disparaging things about people from a lower class, about Portuguese people. Charlie yells at them, but Daisy's like, oh, you're clearly just dating me you know, a poor townie to get back at your family and she storms off. And so everything's a mess. But then the restaurant critic, who I forget like what name he goes by in the movie, it almost it like as soon as you said Phantom Gourmet, I'm like, it wasn't that, That's but it. it was like basically the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> but he gives his review on television, his face exposed to the whole world. And he's like, this pizza from Mystic Pizza, it's the best pizza I've ever had. So everyone's all excited. The business is going to do great. Jojo finally marries Bill. We see the wedding reception. Charlie comes to apologize to Daisy. They make up. And then the movie ends with the three women being like, hmm, I wonder what Liana puts in her pizza. And that's the end. And then they look up at the stars. At the stars. Uh, and then a corny song plays and you're like, yeah. 
friendship, <laughs> sisterhood. This movie has so much saxophone in it. It's it really a does. very saxophone heavy film. There's, I don't know what that song is at the end, but it was making me laugh. It was like, friends are always gonna be friends. And we, you're like, sure. Sure. And then in the credits, you see like, sponsored by Big Saxophone. <laughs> Just like... Uh, All right, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back to discuss. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table, because geek culture is pop culture, and we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. So the first thing I, I wanted to talk about was... Um, the fact, I mean, I, I tried to do some research to find out if there were any actors of Portuguese descent in this movie at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. It was a challenge. I, I, couldn't fi- I couldn't find out everyone. Definitely not Julia Roberts or Annabeth Gish mm-hmm. that I could tell. I don't, did anyone have any luck there? Because for a, a movie that, you know, is talking about, 
you know, people of Portuguese descent quite a bit, it seems like there was like really no representation whatsoever in an actual way. Um, yeah, yeah, I'd imagine that maybe some of the like very tertiary characters who you like see speaking or singing in Portuguese, but I feel like as as far as the main cast, yeah, it didn't seem to be the case. Right. Yeah. Which I mean, obviously sucks. And also the the there is like a large Portuguese American community in Connecticut and in areas of New England, mostly Rhode Island, but like there there is a huge Portuguese American culture in New England and so I thought it was cool that it was spotlighted but then it's like but it's like you know an empty gesture to to an extent when there's no actual Mm. representation of it yeah and also like spotlighted with inaccuracies Mm. I like saw Annabeth Gish was like did a video where she was like setting the record straight with a Portuguese guy and he was just like oh wow here's yeah he was like here's a few things that he was from Portugal and he was like these things from the movie are not accurate like Portugal is not into pizza at all like that's just not a thing and like their <laughs> last name <laughs> their last name they pronounce it like Arujo and they make like a big deal out of that in the movie like the pronunciation mm-hmm. of their name but it's actually like not he's like that's just not a name in Portuguese and mm. he's like it's Araujo is a name but that's like a different word but hmm. so I don't know it just seems like there could have been a little more like R&D the the background stuff any sure. research especially because it was yeah. like filmed in an area where there was a Portuguese American like it could it couldn't have been an easier task right so that was that was frustrating i i thank you for we'll we'll find that video and link it in the description because i'm like wow they really they they made annabeth gish face the music it literally (laughs) seems like annabeth gish was on a movie set with a portuguese guy and she talked to him enough to learn some stuff from him and she was like let's make this quick video and it's like two minute video of him just like listing these things and she's like okay cool nice wild yeah (laughs) Wow. Okay. That's that's good to know. Yeah. yeah. I, I, if we have any uh, Portuguese American listeners or just Portuguese listeners, um, let us know your thoughts on one of my one of my best friends is half Portuguese, and I actually like have been to Portugal with her. Oh, cool. But I mean, I think she loves this movie. So <laughs> it seems like I because I was looking for there there wasn't much written about it, even though it was. I don't know. I, I was looking to yeah. see if anyone had ever, um, you know, like written about how Portuguese culture is, is, is represented here, but everyone's just like, I love the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. My friend Nikki, both of her parents are Portuguese American who live in New England. And I asked Nikki about how her family feels about this movie. And she was like, my mom loves Mystic Pizza. Aww. So everyone loves it. Everyone loves it. I don't know. I mean, in general, I just was like, this is a very 1980s movie thing to do. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. To to like make a a huge, I mean, a huge deal of like, look at these Portuguese American characters, but then not cast anyone of Portuguese descent and get apparently every fact wrong. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) But but that's it. I I thought that um, like one of the things I really liked about this movie was its like willingness to explore class issues in Mm -hmm. a really like direct way because we talked about this with like rom-com or even just like coming of age movies in general all the time where it's like so often it's just like 
rich people <laughs> like yeah it's just like there's gonna be a mansion party no one's ever worrying about like we, we talked about in the to all the boys i love before episode of how like there's a whole movie in that series about getting ready for college and no one is worried about how they're gonna pay for it and right i really appreciate it and was like pleasantly surprised by like how willing to engage with class issues this movie was mm-hmm yeah, it comes up in an, in a, a couple different kind of scenarios too. One where, you know, Kat is saving up money. She's working what appears to be three or four different jobs to save up to go to Yale. And she has like a, a half scholarship and she, you know, still needs to earn all of this money to be able to pay for tuition. Yeah. And, you know, how that's kind of like a constant struggle for her and then with Daisy dating Charlie this you know rich yuppie kid who has just so many different cars at his disposal all of them you know like luxury vehicles he lives in this mansion all this stuff and how it like you know creates this rift in their relationship especially when she realizes that he, you know, he's kind of dating her as an act of rebellion against his family. And yeah, so I thought that was all pretty interesting. I really liked it. Yeah. I mean, especially I, I really, really, really love Kat. So I just like, I don't know, I'm, I love her so much. Like I had a very similar situation to her when I was her age. And I was like, you, you can do it. You're going to be an astronomer and do all this stuff. But um, with the with the Charlie Daisy relationship, I'd never seen something like that. But that is like a thing that happens in cities or communities with like large wealth gaps of like, you know, if there are uh, young couples that it's like you have to go to their house and be like I'm gonna act like I'm not poor and <laughs> see if that works <laughs> and like another just like oh like this is amazing for 1988 where it is like pretty clear that Charlie to an extent is like bringing her over to like get a rise out of his dad mm -hmm. and she calls him out on it right away and she's just like no you humiliated me to like I don't, because of your because of your daddy issues like right. leave me out of it like I just yeah I thought that that was like incredibly cool and I'd never seen a situation like that actually like play out on screen and have like the person from the lower class like get the final word in in a way that was like really satisfying and cool and yeah mm -hmm. I just loved it mm -hmm. I love that she says when they're like fighting in the driveway and I love that she's just like you're not even good enough for me like because right. <laughs> it was kind of it was kind of like inherently like oh he's the rich one he has the car like whatever and then she like gets a ride home with her friend who's the maid at their house and she's mm -hmm. just like give me a ride like I love I love how she actually all these women like I guess Kat maybe less in a less like dramatic way but like have really powerful moments where they're like screaming at men and like it's very satisfying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like I love like when um Bill puts a nympho on his boat and he's oh kind of God. like embarrassing her in front of the entire town. Mm -hmm. Like I love that Jojo just straight up like screams at him and she's just like, you can't force me to do anything I'm not ready to do. And like this yeah. is so not okay. And like she says like everything that I would imagine you would be afraid to, or like you would think of later, you'd be like, oh, I should have said that. Right. But like she says all of it and it's so awesome. And like her friends are right there with her and like, 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. When, yeah, she's like, I don't have to marry an asshole. It's the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Like yes. it that whole like performance was so good and like to and I love that she gets like a standing ovation from the tourists. Right. Like, <laughs> so bizarre, but yeah. it I really liked it. It also just feels like such a New England thing for all these like all these people to be like projecting at each other at like the speed of light where like <laughs> daisy projects onto cat cat projects onto daisy ev- like the mom projects onto everybody uh like mm-hmm. just everyone is like very loudly not dealing with their problems which i was like wow <laughs> totally that's re- wow that's so real <laughs> <laughs> i love that jojo one of her main traits is that she just fully carries on conversations fully by herself and everyone else around her just like <sighs> silently yeah. like she'll just be like thank you guys so much for everything you've said but she's like the only one talking in the conversation and just like goes on a full tangent <laughs> those scenes are so funny yeah so good. yeah the one especially where she's uh she has just been broken up with by bill but she comes in acting like she was the yeah. one who broke up with him and then she just goes on this long soliloquy and the whole time she's just like wow, I'm so glad my friends are here supporting me and agreeing with me and validating me. And meanwhile, they've said not a word. (laughs) She also like, Loki like, is like, and Leona, you're going to give me the business one day, right? And Leona's like, um, sure. They're all like like, being held hostage by her feelings. (laughs) Uh, I, I love that. Like that happens at like, it's the funniest and like I think like the best when it happens with Jojo but I I like that that happens at like multiple different points in this movie where everyone's got like their own shit going on but then when someone else's like problem comes into the like they they put their own shit aside and they show up for each other mm-hmm. like every single time like I I I liked that moment where cat is like devastated she feels so like used by tim and she's like fucking up at work and leaving like raw pizzas on (laughs) tables and stuff but then when she realizes like the phantom gourmet is there she like snaps into it she's like okay i'll deal with my shit later like right now this is leona's moment and Mm -hmm. like just those quick i don't know you're just like oh these women like know each other so well and they care about each other so much that they can just like be so like raw nerves with each other mm-hmm. but then also always know like when they need to show up for each other i love it yeah <laughs> and like daisy does that too with uh cat yeah. yeah 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 when she's like you know cat comes home she's been wearing daisy's boots and daisy's like quit wearing my nice boots and quit using my comb your scuzzy hair is in it and then daisy realizes that cat is devastated and then shuts off any like anger and resentment that she was feeling toward cat and is just like i'm here for you like cry on my shoulder whatever you need to do yeah it was it was a really nice moment i love like for me the thing about this movie is it's a story about like female friendship but also you know each of these three women has a major storyline that revolves around a man yeah which just feels very typical and expected of this type of movie I I wish it maybe had been more about the friendship or that we had seen more scenes of the three women together I wish there were just more movies that were actually about female friendship and don't get bogged down in these like subplots 
about men. We had that same issue with um, was it Fried Green Tomatoes? There was like another. There was another movie from this like era where it like markets itself as being all about female friendship, but then it actually is about relationships. Yeah, a big one for me was Waiting to Exhale. Oh yes, yes, yes. Yeah, where it's like, oh wow, all these amazing women are going to be talking to each other the whole movie, and then you're like, oh wait, actually, there's like three scenes of that. Yeah. It's about husbands. <laughs> right. And most of the scenes are them helping each other deal with, like, men's bullshit. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Right. Which is pretty true of this movie as well. That was, like, I don't know. Like, I didn't hate that they had love interests. Like, okay, that's a convention of the genre. But it did, like, at some points, especially because I absolutely hated Charlie so much. And yeah. I know that, like... His storyline was like helped you explore these class issues, but I just couldn't fucking stand him. There's too much of him. He's such a little wiener. He really is. I wish there were just more movies. Yeah, bottom line, I wish there were more movies that not only appear to be about female friendship, but are kind of more exclusively about that. Right. That being said, though, I'd still, I think it would have been a much easier and more kind of predictable choice for you to get three very kind of basic like standard rom-com type storylines that don't explore anything meaningful Mm -hmm. but with at least with the three romantic subplots we get you know like we said one of them deals pretty heavily with class one of them deals with a, a woman debating about whether or not commitment and like marriage is something she wants which like that was I think I love Jojo so much because I related so hard to her being like, I'm afraid of commitment. I think I can do it in the future, but I don't want it right now. And you are rushing me. Mm-hmm. And it feels like you're, Bill, you're forcing me into something I'm not ready for. And I like through his character, too, that like you get a totally like just an unusual depiction of like male sexuality too yeah right and I I also really liked that after she passes out and like ditches their wedding like I mean not to like give him too much credit but just the fact that like his character is like okay and I, I know that they still fight and stuff but just the fact that like they can even reconcile is like more impressive communication than most characters in TV or film ever are able to accomplish. <laughs> like if that was on Friends, it would just be like, and then I never saw her again. Right, he would disappear from my the wedding. Movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. like I, I like that he still shows up and he deals with being humiliated in the town and like, yeah, and you know he has perhaps some toxic habits where he was like about to punch a guy who was like mocking him and for instance putting nympho on the side of his boat maybe wasn't ideal no yeah but at the same time yeah i think there was like a display of masculinity with his character that i think we don't often see especially for so many movies are guilty of this thing i hate where they depict like working class people specifically working class men just in a very particular way of just like steeped in toxic masculinity because they are working class Mm -hmm. where we know that, you know, people of any men of any class can be steeped in toxic masculinity. But I feel like it's rare to see a working class man be a little gentler or be someone who like is a little bit more in touch with his feelings and who like really strongly cares about 
commitment and things like that. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it inverts the like church girl trope that we see used pretty frequently in like, but it's not, I, I don't know. Like it, it, it is, even that is like reductive in the way it's usually presented. But with him, it's like, oh no, he like takes his religion very seriously and you can feel however you want to feel about that. But it's like, mm-hmm. it's important to him. And I I don't know, like watching them navigate that relationship was interesting. Like it was, I wasn't like, I don't know. I was, I wasn't, <laughs> it's rare to find a, relationship in the 80s that I'm not actively rooting against like (laughs) I still feel like you know he should have let her wait a little longer you know like I would because in that amazing like monologue that she gives she's just like saying I don't know like it's such a complex thing that is also very normal of like I do want to get married and I do care about this person but I have other things I wanted to do first and like I don't know if we're going to be able to compromise to a point where we can both be happy and like it was like interesting as I was watching it because I'm like oh that's that's a problem that I have known many people to have but you never really see it presented that way as just like mm-hmm. a fact of life that could be really like frustrating and, and like torturous for you personally because it's not like he's an evil bad guy like he's kind mm-hmm. of an asshole yeah. but mm-hmm. he lives in Connecticut so that's kind of you know, <laughs> Right. Wow, shots fired. (laughs) Massachusetts head. (laughs) Well, it's also interesting that they all kind of have different trajectories. Like with Kat, it's like a foregone conclusion that she is leaving Mystic and that she's bound for like, it's really presented as like she's bound for better things. Like her mom is just like, everyone my daughter's going to Yale like Mm -hmm. she's she's leaving and like and they talk about that they talk about mystic like this like you know bumfuck town that like everyone just needs to like get out of but like Mm -hmm. you do get the sense that like she's might not be okay with it but Jojo is like kind of gonna stay there because she's like she's really young and she's like met her you know person and doesn't know how to feel about that and Mm -hmm. like maybe doesn't have the way out that like cat has right yeah I, I don't know i i definitely coming from like a really small town i mean i could see how scary it would be to like look down the barrel of that life and just be like wow um how am i supposed to be excited about this sure <laughs> sure I I do wonder, I mean, of of all the characters, I want to know where Jojo would be 10 years later. I wonder, like, I wonder if that's the sort of, like, maybe they move. Maybe she does end up inheriting the pizza place. Who knows what happens? Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's like, such a, it would have been so easy to fuck up that character. Um, But she does kind of have this rich interior life I just wish we knew a little more I wish we I do wish we knew a little more about her outside of like she is a friend and she is gonna be a wife question mark but what you do get there is pretty complex yeah for me I found myself a little disappointed at the end when it's revealed that she and Bill do get married so soon after she had been like yeah I want to wait a while you know and the same way and it's like the movie clearly wants you to not feel that way right you're supposed to be like oh because at the very least I like this little you know speech that she gives when she's like in the cab of the truck with Bill and she's like okay 
I got to maintain my identity. I understand about commitment and I love you, but you have to know where I stand about this. You know, I want to be my own person. Absolutely nothing has changed, even though we've gotten married, dot, 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 except my name. Mm. So I'm glad that she, you know, is making her needs known about wanting to maintain her identity and, you know, not getting lost in being a his wife kind right. of thing. But it just was very soon after. It was I so agree. soon. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and uh, I just I wish that it I don't know if it was just cuz like, well, a movie starring women has to end in a wedding. Duh. I don't think Hollywood can resist ever. <laughs> like it just it's it's just like too good. They just can't say no. I was yeah. mostly like I have to I I do appreciate that they reused the dresses. I'm like, okay, that is a working class <laughs> wedding. Thank you. Because if they had had all new dresses, I'm like, they dropped the ball. But I I hated Mm -hmm. to see those dresses again. Uh, (laughs) Actually, one of the things I love about this movie, just speaking of the dresses, is just like, I love that this movie is so not like disney at all. It's just like everyone looks kind of like not too much makeup and like, like obviously Julia's hair looks amazing and I'm sure that's where like 90% of the hair budget went. But I just, (laughs) I love that this movie is not like, super glossy i just i really appreciate that it looks kind of like a little raggedy like yeah. the real it looks kind of real and i i love that about it right it would feel really inauthentic if it hadn't been that way you know because if it's you know it's this story about these working class women yeah but if they're like all dolled up in expensive designer clothes and their hair and makeup looks like it was done by a personal stylist like that's usually not how that works. Right. But they still look good and like trendy yeah. too. Because yeah. I also like don't like when it goes too far the other way. And the implication is like working class people look like shit. And you're like, right. like that's not the case either. Yeah. But I, I, yeah, like the, the details that they added in with the wardrobe, like where like Julia Roberts, I mean, first of all, like people wear the same outfit more than once in this movie, which is like makes sense. That's how clothes work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. you never see that in movies. And mm-hmm. and the like little detail that she like got this expensive dress, but she's like, but I'm not taking the tags off and I'm going to return it. You're like, yeah, that yeah. like that's yeah. another really good detail. And oh, yeah, this is a really well written movie. I one thing I wanted to, I, I, I was hoping that there would be like a an oral history piece about this movie. I couldn't find one, but mm-hmm. I did think it was interesting. I couldn't find the reason why, but this movie, the story is by Amy Holden Jones, who has done a bunch of work uh Mm -hmm. she's she's also done uh, the beethoven movie with the dog that's the most okay she also did should cover it excellent film (laughs) she also this in back to back she did beethoven and indecent proposals so she's got range uh she's killing it but um she you know came up with the story after um going to mystic connecticut and just i don't know i think she was just like cruising through and was like hey what if i wrote a movie which probably explains how um it wasn't totally uh researched very well but she was (laughs) she was supposed to be uh the director of the movie but then at Mm -hmm. the last second 
she was not the director of the movie, which is frustrating because she had, I mean, she had had three directing credits prior to this, three feature credits. And then instead it was given to a director named Donald Petrie and it was his Mm -hmm. debut. So it was like this movie was almost directed by an experienced director and then was instead given to a guy who had never directed a movie before, which is just like, hmm. Okay, so Jamie, did you say you didn't find the reason why? Because I did find the reason why. Oh, I didn't. No, no. What's the reason? Okay, because I I was scandalized. Okay, so Amy Jones, yeah, seems amazing. Um, She wrote the script, shopped it around Hollywood, and like no one wanted it. And then eventually it was optioned by Samuel Goldwyn. Mm -hmm. And so he, he like optioned it with her attached to direct it but then because like women were really not like allowed to direct at that time or like it was very uncommon like he was just like I'm not comfortable working with a woman director and she was like Mm -hmm. I mean I might be getting details wrong but the gist of it is like she was like okay well I I want the rights back she loved that movie and still calls it like her favorite thing she's done not Beethoven and and so (laughs) and so um (laughs) She wanted him back and he and this fucker was like, um, I actually have the rights until for the rest of your life. Like I own the rights Ugh. like until you die. And so it, it went into court. So Amy Jones had to fight what? with like, I think with the Writers Guild and there was like a legal battle because he was saying that he had life rights and that she had said something verbally or something that had like given him the impression that he just had the rights to Mystic Pizza for the rest of her life. What? And then he wanted to like, or like, oh no, this was when they were shopping around Hollywood. People were like, we'll make it if you change them all to men. Like if you make all these characters men, we'll make it. Yeah. Wow. And okay. And so then, so she was, I saw some quote where she was like, well, I learned like never to get in a legal battle with a multimillionaire because you'll just lose no matter, even if you win, you lose because they drain you, Mm -hmm. drain your finances. So I think she won so that it was decided that like okay your like license to make this movie expires at this time or whatever Mm -hmm. and so as the time was approaching she said like Samuel Goldwyn was like freaking out and trying he's like she said he hired like every writer in the world to try to like fix this movie fix it wow okay because yeah there are four credited writers on this movie Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think he had a lot of people working on it. And then he finally hired these two writers who had worked with Amy Jones. And when they got on the script, how they revised it was getting rid of everything that had been changed and brought it back to Amy Jones's original script. Mm. So what we ended up with in Mystic Pizza is actually Amy Jones's like original script, which I think is why it's good. And I, I'm sorry, Daniel Pietri or whatever your name is. Like, I don't think that it's you that made this movie great I think it's Mm -hmm. Amy Jones and like she said that it was a well-known story in Hollywood and that she got many many writing jobs from Mystic Pizza and that like everyone knew kind of like what happened and like that it was really her film wow holy thank you so much for I I did not find that even remotely and it's like that sounds like absolute torture and is also like not surprising at all. I feel like we, yeah. we have at this point, I mean, we've covered so many stories where that's the case. That was like, that was like the story of the production of Brave. That was the story. Mm-hmm. Well, what else was there? It's just like where a woman was kicked off and yeah. And then it was given to mm-hmm. a, a man in the 11th hour and there was a legal battle yeah. and just all this garbage that, and, and then bringing back most of the original plot points that 
had originally been there. Like, yeah. Oh mm-hmm. God. Well, shout out to Amy Jones. Seriously. Uh, holy shit. The, I'm, I'm glad that we, that we know. Come on the show, Amy Jones. <laughs> she, I just followed her on Twitter. She's oh, out there. Nice. Yeah. Uh, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back for more discussion. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Let's talk about Kat a little bit. We haven't talked about her too much. I love her so much. I, I, (laughs) so her story, her like romantic storyline is the worst one. Yes. And yet very relatable. (laughs) Yes. I was like, but I feel like at least it's aware of that where I I know that there are so many like predatory storylines that are like that end up being like. And it was love the whole time. And I guess things just didn't work out for them. But this, unfortunately, these types of abuses of power do happen. Like Kat is like, a she's a kid. She's very, I don't know how, if she's a legal adult 
that, or okay, not, which I, is unclear. I wish we uh, had known that because, you know, she's about to go to college, which would imply that she recently graduated from high school. So she's like 18. But also we see her at a bar. So is she 21? Like, did she wait a few years before applying? It might just be a townie bar thing. Yeah. So I don't we don't know how old she is. I, I mean, it's regard. I mean, it's an abuse of power, no matter for sure. if it's. Yeah, she's, she's a teenager. Mm-hmm. And it's her boss who's preying on her. I just I yeah. ugh, it's so it makes me so mad because like that shit does happen. And I at least thought it was like well written that like cat I don't know like I, I was in situations like that as a teenager where you she's like inexperienced she's shy she's a people pleaser and she doesn't you know necessarily know how to really assert herself in those situations mm-hmm. and she is you know attracted to him but it doesn't make it less of an abuse of power for him to take advantage of that and like totally that all felt pretty well I was I kept like gritting my teeth to be like please don't end up telling me this is okay to happen and yeah but I I thought it was like a pretty well written storyline all the way down Mm -hmm. to his being a fucking coward and trying to pay her off like it just all felt like very like unfortunately realistic the other thing I thought was effective is that and this is something we talk about quite a bit where they're tends to be villains or like predator characters in movies that are so cartoonishly evil that no one could see themselves reflected back in that person Mm -hmm. but because he's like on the surface seems like a nice guy Mm -hmm. he's a good father you know you're you kind of get lured into this idea that oh he's gonna be he's nice he's fine and then when he abuses his power and hurts her and doesn't hold himself accountable for anything he's done and we realize just what a dog shit person he is I thought that was well handled in terms of like under other circumstances he probably seems like a nice guy but in such a way that like people could actually look at him and be like oh no I've done that before Uh, like that's this person is familiar to me kind of thing right so yeah I found Kat like even though you know, I love, I think Jojo is my favorite character because I'm just like charmed by her. But <laughs> Kat is the character that I definitely, definitely relate to the most. And I think for me, watching it when I was her age, it was just like very relatable and like kind of cathartic to like see someone who was like wore like thick sweaters and like and had <laughs> right. no sense of her. I mean, I think she's she's obviously like growing up in the course of the movie, but she her sister Daisy is like this like incredibly like vivacious, like sexual being. And Kat is I just remember being that age and it just felt like very, very difficult calculus for me to even imagine like kissing someone or something. So mm-hmm. I feel like her her being drawn to this older guy who's like showing her attention like I just feel like I could totally imagine how that would to someone who was like so inexperienced and like looking to kind of prove yourself or like you know everyone in the movie is always saying like oh Kat has no time for boys like she's going off to Yale and like Mm -hmm. it's kind of like when everyone points one thing out about you you want them to see the other side too like 
Kat doesn't need to be told that she's smart. Everyone tells her that. She needs to be told she's beautiful or like she's sexy or whatever. So this guy comes along and he like, you know, looks at her with his like Yale red hair. <laughs> like <laughs> he's like weirdly buff architect man. Like I just think that she's he's he's getting her exactly where she's vulnerable. And right. And he's yeah. so he's so there's no excuse for his behavior in this movie. Like I was imagining like Jamie, you kind of pointed out earlier, like the weird cuts where we don't see we, like we don't see that they sleep together. It's just kind of assumed and we don't see them setting up their date when they do sleep together. It mm-hmm. just they just show up there. Sure. And I was imagining when I was watching it, like imagining. So at one point, like Kat and this like 30 year old guy like plan their date and like arrange for Kat's friend to babysit his daughter. And that's just so explicit. So it's not like it came over him in the moment. It's explicit. And he knew like it's calculated. Yeah. Premeditated this. Yeah. 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 I I hate it so much. But I, I also I totally agree with what you're saying, Hallie, about how he he does like target her vulnerability and that I don't know like it it kind of expands into how Kat and Daisy relate to each other where it seems like they you know it one one storyline I wish was explored more in this movie was their relationship with their mom because it's so like in like flashes I'm like can we like cut out some of the like love interest stuff and like focus on this mom relationship a little more because she really only has like one scene with each daughter and I would have liked to see all three of them together but totally it, it does seem like you know it's it's like Kat feels this pressure to succeed or she'll disappoint her mother or she'll never move out of mystic which she clearly wants to do and like you know what her dream is I like that you see her at all these different jobs and it's not just like a joke that she's like oh she works a lot it's like you see it and you see yeah. her like struggle with it and Mm -hmm. and of course like it's it's you know it's like when that is your life you know it's like and and all you're valued for is your mind it's like you want I don't know like a more whole experience in 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 many cases right and I get like I get why Kat bugs Daisy for being so prized for her mind which she doesn't even totally want it's just how people view her yeah and 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 I get how Kat is I don't know it just reminded me so much of like my older cousin and where I was just like she's so cool and like everyone loves her and I I can't talk to people like it's so frustrating and you like hold it against someone you love in this way that is like mm-hmm. kind like kind of immature and also just like I'm repressing my feelings and I'm just like frustrated that I can't present that way to the world because it looks so appealing and it's like it just feels so sisterly yeah it's just good <laughs> yeah and I love also how Jojo is friends like because I, I have I have like brothers that are really close in age so we like share friends but these two like really share friends like like mm-hmm. Jojo is equally friends with Daisy and Kat and will like stand by them even when they're fighting and like I just I like I liked when when that happened and like yeah it showed that they're like this kind of functional trifecta yeah yeah and then like we were saying how they do show up for each other they provide support to each other when needed like to go back to this predatory relationship that 
Kat has with Tim, like there was a little bit that again felt realistic, although I think it would have been like Daisy probably would have handled this differently were this to be happening in like 2021. But she, it's clear that she's like looking out for her sister, but it's also kind of happening under this guise of like, judging her almost like oh you you know how typical that the babysitter is like having sex with the dad kind of thing and like almost passing like judgment and shame upon her Uh, but when it like comes down to it daisy is like whatever you need i'm here for you similarly jojo in like the car right she's just like yeah, my guy, my, Bill sucks, but nothing compared to this piece of shit we just yeah, saw. Fuck right. him. <laughs> like, that, scene, that scene in the car is so good. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, I, I sort of, I mean, I guess I sort of, like, they do say very cruel things to each other. Um, and, it, you know, it, I guess in a perfect world, like having them be like, I am sorry that I said that cruel thing to you. It just mm-hmm. felt so sister yeah. to me that I'm, I'm like, I don't, you know, or just like sibling relationships in general, where you just say something like the meanest thing you could think of in the moment. And then like 20 minutes later, you're like, I'm crying. I need you to hug me. <laughs> like, it's just so chaotic, yeah. especially because yeah. they're so young. And yeah, mm-hmm. the the sibling relationship that I found completely unrelatable was Charlie Windsor and his sister who Daisy mistakes for his girlfriend grabs his arm you're like they're like laughing and they're like linked arms and she's very demure and like I'm just like what you guys would claw each other's eyes out like I have two brothers like it's not like that I know I was like is that a rich person thing like what the fuck I I was also I was like was that like just like plot writing or is that how rich siblings interact don't really they might like not know each other because their rooms are so far apart in their like 20 room (laughs) mansion they just like oh we've met a few times in the halls but he seems nice (laughs) speaking to those the the that family i mean going back to that family really quick there's just one other thing i wanted to hit on with that scene like that is like uh you know where daisy goes over to the house and the rich people are really rich peopling out. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Another thing that happens in that scene that I thought was just like really, I don't know, like the attention to detail. It's a little melodramatic. And it's a little over the top, but like, so is the whole movie. So whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when, when they realize that Daisy's a waitress and it's like that very bizarre, like oh, wow. yeah. rich person calculus happens where they're like, Oh, that's not, gross at all we don't think that's gross in fact that's noble and we don't think you're disgusting at all that's really cool and you're like oh no that that just like I don't know that felt very real and then also the rich people just slipping and saying something completely like classist and like just like they they say something just outright cruel about Portuguese people oh yeah and you're like that's a classic rich people moment totally that just felt like it's a little over the top but like not that over the top of like I don't know rich people at dinner terrifying to me (laughs) and then like it's like I guess even though he does it for probably his own reasons like Charlie's telling them off is like nice kind of until he like pulls the tablecloth and like ruins their entire dinner. He flips Matt Damon's lobster. Yeah, he kind of like 
I, I feel like he could have like calmly walked away after like giving them a piece of his mind and it could have been like, wow, he's really given us something to think about. But then he like throws like a tantrum and <laughs> very immature. Uh, yeah, I can't. I hate Charlie. I can't stand him. Yeah. He's such a, yeah, like I do. I don't know. I, I, I feel like no matter what, he and Daisy are not long for this world mm-hmm. in terms of like, is this relationship going to go to the distance? Yeah, definitely not. No. Um, I mean, it honestly reminded me of Megan and Harry. Like, it's like, Oh, you're super racist, like rich family <laughs> yeah. that mm-hmm. like, you know, I don't know if you guys watch like the Oprah interview, mm-hmm. but like, yeah, Harry, like being like, Oh yeah, I like learned, I've, I've learned a lot from her and I, and I, I can totally see that this is like, you kind of like get that. Like, okay, this guy is like, choosing her over his like idiot family and taking the righteous path or whatever Mm -hmm. and like I just don't yeah it it I think him speaking out I was like oh that's a little bit of like Harry like he's not gonna stand for this but then I I don't think he's uh he's the guy for for Daisy I think Daisy deserves a lot better no because she's right he is making it too much about him yeah like and I don't think feel like he really rectified that like I'm glad she like ripped him a new one and was like no fuck you but then he just kind of shows up he's like I'm sorry and it's like but no you you know what yeah he doesn't even say sorry he He says so he says I owe you an apology and then she's quiet I didn't even register that and he never and then he doesn't actually say, I'm sorry, here's what I did, and I'm sorry for it. Yeah. Oh, no, I didn't even realize. Yeah, he it's, just says. It's one of the worst apologies. I mean, it's not an it's apology. Not. No. He just says, I owe you one. And then she, it's sad because she doesn't require him to give it. Like, she's. I, I, yeah, I wish she had put her foot yeah. down and been yeah. like, okay, I'm waiting for your apology that you have not yet delivered to me which would be so daisy too to be like okay make it good go (laughs) like i do think that we should keep in mind that like the thing that these women all have in common is like how horny they are (laughs) and like they're just like varying degrees of like absolutely horny and i think that like that's at least to be factored into the ways that they settle you know Mm -hmm. yeah they're just like i just have to get that dick and like i'll i'll marry him i'm i just have to have it like (laughs) (laughs) gosh yeah i know it it made me so i don't know i kind of i wish i had asked my mom what because i feel like she probably has seen this movie but like yeah, I don't know. It, it's so bizarre to think of now, like the 80s in that regard, like truly was a different time where it was like people, I mean, not to say that people are not settling now. It still happens to this day. But settling <laughs> culture was was like way different yeah. in the late 80s. It was, <laughs> it was more, I feel, I feel like it was more often than not. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, one factoid that I just wanted to bring up while we're on the topic of settling. Um <laughs> Jojo, the the actor that played Jojo, I guess it was originally written that her character was pregnant and the actor insisted that they remove that plot point. Mm. And I thought that was so cool that she stood up for that because it would be a really different movie and her character, I just think is like, I love that she doesn't want to get married because she just doesn't want to like lose the freedom of her life. And I think that Mm -hmm. i I just i like that she yeah she enables the character to have that yeah i adore jojo uh jamie i think you mentioned this but i would have liked to see more interaction between daisy and kat's mom and them and then also we get Mm -hmm. next to nothing with jojo and her family particularly her mother i think there's like not even anything but no um, her dad's just like 
my get daughter. out of here, Bill. <laughs> my daughter. <laughs> yeah, classic my daughter and cut to the next scene. <laughs> but we do meet Daisy and Kat's mother, but we only get very small snippets of her. Although there was one yeah. scene that I did find interesting where Daisy and her mom are arguing and it's clear that Daisy knows that her mother is disappointed in her and she resents that, but she's like not going to stop living her life the way she wants to. Right. And but also like wants her mother to like accept that instead right. of like breaking off their relationship. And mm-hmm. yeah. And she says something to the effect of like, yeah, you're disappointed in me. Uh, I swear I am stupid. I'm a slut. And then her mom's just like, no, I just want you to make something of yourself and she's like well I'm not gonna go to Yale and she's like and her mom's like I'm not expecting that like just you know do something and I just I wish there had been I guess just like more scenes like that or more context behind their entire relationship because or even like another scene with the mom after that because that's the last thing she says she's just like I'm concerned about you and then you're like and then what you know like nothing that felt like I mean not to bring up screenwriting something that um i do have a master's degree in which i of course would hate to bring up but that's the type of thing where you need like a one two three story beat to show that arc almost where Mm -hmm. something in the beginning where we see the nature of their relationship more clearly than something in the middle where you know the conflict is kind of like at its highest point and then a third beat toward the end where we get some kind of like resolution or like understanding between them or something like that but instead we just kind of get that one in the middle and there's not enough context before or after i kind of wonder if that is the sort of thing because now especially with the context you gave us hallie that this movie was so thoroughly rewritten if that was something that was originally more present in the movie that went away Mm. um because it does like it is really like intentionally set up and then it just kind of goes away, then comes back, you know, like just before the end. And then, yeah, like that, like her, the the mom's journey is never made totally clear and then it's also never yeah. resolved. Yeah. You get the sense that the mom has a lot of, how I kind of saw it is like she has a lot of pain and sees herself in Daisy and is like, that's what scares her because she's like oh yeah I like how do you think I wound up like a single mom here like I don't know it's there's really like the like options available to I guess like Daisy and Jojo seem to like hover over them like just like becoming their parents and like Mm -hmm. Jojo like I don't know if you guys caught this like right at the end I had to like rewind to watch it twice they don't show you as you mentioned Caitlin like they don't actually introduce you to Jojo's mom or anything but like earlier in the movie she like says like honestly like a fat phobic comment about she's just like I don't want to like grow up and just like have a bunch of kids and get fat and drink a bunch of beer and like Mm -hmm. and just like lose you know like that's like her nightmare you know and then later like right before the final scene where they're all on the balcony you just see there's no dialogue in it a really quick scene of Jojo sitting down between like all these like Portuguese women who are like eating huge slices of cake and like guzzling beer and they're like having a great time. And Jojo like sits down with them and like joins them and like she she doesn't look sad or anything. She just looks like, okay, mm-hmm. like this is this is where I am. It's like kind of sweet actually. I didn't pick yeah. up on that. That's really nice. And I thought that was interesting. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, who doesn't want a slice of cake and beer? Ugh, that I truly want, sounds great. Yeah. And I, I would right do that right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, 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 the mom stuff is, it, and I also think it's like very, like, kind of like, huh? Like, how is there not a scene with the three of them? How is there not a dinner scene at their house? Yeah. Like, yeah. It just seems like something that I'm like, in my head, I'm like, that had to have existed in some version of this movie because otherwise, that is like so. I don't know. And, and I, and I agree with what you're both saying too, that it's like, it ends up kind of coming off half baked because the the mom is in this so little, but that, you know, cycle of poverty dynamic of like, you have to make something of yourself and like, you have to get out of here and like, Mm -hmm. or you're going to, like you're saying, Hallie, like you're going to end up in the same cycle that I'm in and I want my children to have better than what I had. And like, that is all like a very normal dynamic but it just feels like it's kind of half-baked in a way that the mom ends up coming off pretty like mean uh Mm -hmm. which is which you know could also be true it seems like it is true (laughs) to an extent but uh, yeah it just felt like not the setup was there but then it just like wasn't fully explored and also it's like yeah you, you want that moment where like the mom is like I'm sorry and like I accept you however you want to be and also, I mean, I guess it's the 80s. I don't know what people are thinking back then. But I'm like, <laughs> Daisy's like 20. <laughs> like, can we right. not like tell her to like get your shit together? I'm like, she's 20. She, <laughs> like she, no one's going to yeah. have their shit together at that time. <laughs> I do think that the scene, the scene you just described where like the, the mom, you tie that story, the mom storyline up, like that should have been where the wedding is. Like instead mm. of the wedding, we should have had that conversation mm-hmm. and like, I don't know, they could go on a road trip or something. <laughs> right. Cause it's like that affects, that affects Kat as well. Where like Kat clearly has this, like, I mean, she does have a dream to like be a woman in STEM. She wants to do all this Ooh. stuff, but also it's like clear that she's under a lot of, you know, she, she's a people pleaser. She wants to make her mom happy. She wants to like, she wants to succeed for herself, but she also wants to succeed to, prove something and like please her mom and her family and Mm -hmm. like that is also like whether the mom intends to be putting too much pressure on her kid or not like that is what happens in those situations I just Mm -hmm. I don't know which is why I liked that we at least and I was you know again I wish we got a little more with her but I do like that um Leona is present as kind of this surrogate mother who Daisy and Kat can actually talk to Mm -hmm. and actually feel like they can communicate there like that that felt like a cool touch and that beat at the end where Leona's like you're my daughters and gives her money to for Yale you're just like "Mm, that's so nice I really I wish we got more with Leona but I I like her character it's really cool like you know she's like she is like this matriarch figure. She's very like firm on what how she wants her business to run. She has like this arc of like, I don't care what people say about my restaurant. But then she's like, but actually, obviously I do because that's how <laughs> restaurants work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's her arc. <laughs> I love that her husband is... I don't know if he has a name and he's just washing dishes the entire movie. Yeah, <laughs> he just is in charge of him. Yeah. To the yeah. point where I'm like, is that her husband? We know it so little about this man that I'm like, that could just be an employee of hers. 
I, I didn't figure it out until the very end when he when she started saying like we and like you are like a daughter to yeah. us I'm like well mm-hmm. I guess she is married to that guy <laughs> yeah yeah I think that Leona's perspective on the town is kind of where maybe Jojo ends up where like because Daisy is like disparaging mystic she's like oh, I just got to get out of this like stupid town and like I don't have to work here anymore and whatever. And Leona's just like, well, we make the best pizza. And like, I just love that she's like, not really like offended by that. She's just like, no, it's great. Like I'm, I make the best pizza. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't know, like a lot of the adults, like even if they are poor, like seem to actually with the exception of Tim, who's like one of the rich characters, but um, seem to be enjoying their lives and like have good community, like a nice community. And like, Mm -hmm. they're pretty happy. For sure. I like it. Yeah, because it's like, I don't know, like, yeah, that that like tendency of anytime the working class is portrayed, it's sort of like, a, you know, there a lot of people opt for the tragedy porn and really harping on the negative aspects of poverty, of which there are so, so many and not to like underplay that. But it, it mm-hmm. doesn't mean that you can't live a life with like joy and dignity and, you know, an inner life. And mm-hmm. yeah, like everyone in this movie has that. And also is like, fuck being poor (laughs) like i like that moment (laughs) from daisy too where she's like yeah being poor fucking sucks i can admit Mm -hmm. that but that doesn't mean that you can treat me this way and like yeah that's so great i love it that reminds me of um my favorite line from the movie is when daisy is looking in her fridge at her mom's house and it's just packed full of lobster and she's just like (laughs) fucking lot of lobster so here and, and then, then you cut <laughs> you cut straight to like the fancy dinner where they're all eating the exact same lobster yeah. and it's like they're they are they're wealthy in lobster the um <laughs> arujo family yes oh goodness one additional fuck charlie moment <laughs> so this is after daisy has just fucking smoked everyone at pool mm-hmm. and everyone's like oh my god a woman can do a pool um <laughs> which i did i mean i was just like watching julie roberts that happens to julia roberts a lot in movies because the same thing happens with her that time she can fix a car and everyone's like what? What? <laughs> <laughs> So after Charlie's all impressed and he then proceeds to stalk her and find out where she lives and shows up at her house, Daisy's mom is like, I guess, like, who the fuck are you? But whatever. And then Daisy comes home and her mom's like, you could have told me that you were going out for dinner or whatever. And Daisy's like, I didn't know I was. So basically, Charlie just like, again, having stalked her, showed up. He's just like, yeah, I'm here to take out your daughter for dinner. Like, not even giving her the choice, not giving Daisy the chance to say no. Like, he's just like, we are doing this. Get in my Porsche. Ew, he's so entitled. Yeah. I hate this man so much. (laughs) Yeah, he and Tim are both kind of predatory. And I feel like driving, I don't know, just like driving the Porsche parking it in front of her house like I feel like there is something really gross about him just being like I'm gonna take you out and just like flaunting his mm-hmm. his wealth and like using his the influence of that yeah yeah Icky. I wish that he it didn't it doesn't even seem inconceivable in the world of this movie that this could end by Julia Roberts being like actually fuck you <laughs> like, and right? moving on yeah like I w- oh, perfect perfect world she would have said actually fuck you because he's just he just sucks the whole time he he's not fun at 
one moment, except may, unless he's good at sex, which I, I guess it seems like she enjoys having sex with him. But outside of that, I'm like, what is your point? We have to talk about their sex scene in that. Wait, in another haunted mansion, like both sisters. <laughs> yes. You know, all the power's off. Both sisters fuck predatory men in haunted mansions at different points. Actually, oh. I feel like at around oh, the similar blink. point in the movie, but oh my God, I forgot about this. Yeah. Like <laughs> the scene where Daisy, like Daisy is taken by Charlie to his family's like off season. Yeah. Like summer home or whatever this shit. Where like it's right. dark. The electricity is shut off. <sighs> so they like start a fire and like. There's like white sheets over all the furniture, so it really does mm-hmm. seem like a haunted mansion. Mm-hmm. And then Daisy does such a wild move, which is that like he like <laughs> he like looks away for a second and then he turns back and she's gone and her like stiletto heel is like balanced on the edge of a table or something and then she's like, Charlie, follow the breadcrumbs. And then, <laughs> and then like he like somehow in the course of moments, Julia Roberts takes off all her clothes, navigates a darkened home that she's never been in before and finds her way to like an upstairs bedroom and then puts on Charlie's dad's shirt, which is like yes. all of that is like a so like, how did she do that? She must have been running. She's got that skills. I <laughs> wish I had thought that through because I was like, that is supernatural that she could do that yeah my husband pointed that out when we watched it last night because I, I mean that didn't I don't think that had occurred to me either and I've seen it so many times it's just like wait a second first of all that's like a really really bold move but like just how did she do it with like the physics of it like right. mm-hmm. the logistics don't quite <laughs> add up and then um. he's like I'm gonna fuck you in my dad's shirt in my dad's bed <laughs> yeah she really is like enacting power move after power move yeah <laughs> it's like yeah i wish yeah. i get i just wish i think for each of these three women i would have liked to see a different resolution my pitch for daisy would be that she does not take charlie back he might come to apologize maybe he even does apologize but i think that she should be like nope what's done is done i don't know even why i dated you in the first place goodbye My pitch Mm -hmm. for Jojo is that if she wants to stay with Bill, fine. But I wish she hadn't agreed to marry him so soon, especially after the entire movie is her being like, I'm not ready yet and I won't be for a while. Mm -hmm. So for her to like marry him after all so soon, I just was like, well, that's inconsistent with everything we learned about Jojo. And then I would have liked for... For Kat, maybe we, like, see her go off to college or, like, we see, like, one kind of final beat where she's, I don't know, just some something else. Because she just gets such I a... I want her to tape Tim's check back together and go and, to the and, bank. And... That's where I want it to end. Where she's like, I've had a change of heart. I don't care. Yes. I want her to dump a barrel of fish in Tim's car. Into his car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think interesting things were explored with each of those romantic relationships, but I wish they had resolved differently yeah. in general. I'm on board with that. Yeah, mm. definitely. Um, does anyone have any other thoughts about the movie? That was it for me. Yeah. It does pass the Bechdel test because yeah. women are talking about pizza. They're talking <laughs> about lobsters. They're talking, talking about, about trucks. College. They're talking about the stars. Astronomy. Talking about how they view each other. Their, their futures, their hopes, their dreams. 
they do talk about men a lot because, again, mm-hmm. there is a lot of real estate in the story dedicated to their romantic subplots with men. So, you know, lots of hetero people, lots of white people. and It's white people. It's white people city. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, might be representative of what Mystic is actually like. I don't remember from when I went there in third grade or whatever. <laughs> but... Yeah, you know, it's it's pretty standard romantic dramedy type fare. Yeah, of this era, for sure. Of this era, especially. So, I guess as far as our nipple scale, zero to five nipples, based on an examination of intersectional feminism as it applies to the movie, I think I would give this maybe a three or maybe just shy of a three, maybe like a 2.75 kind of thing, or maybe even that's too generous. I panic every time I have to rate a movie. I'm going to do a three. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I want to, I'm going to go down just a bit to a 2.75. Wow. Okay. I, Jamie. Bitchy. Well, I'm keeping my secret pizza recipe from you <laughs> and I'm going lower in the rating than you. Because um, while I like the relationships between the women, I wish they had just been given a little bit more focus Especially, like, even we don't even get that much between, in fact, it was, like, maybe halfway through me watching the movie the first time that I really fully understand. I was like, are they all sisters? Are none of them sisters? Who is a sister to the other person? Like, I I had a hard time, like, figuring out the dynamics of them exactly, because I feel like just not quite enough is established about their characters. (laughs) I love when you're like, they're all acting like sisters. Who's actually sisters? (laughs) But I think it speaks to maybe we don't spend enough time with them or like focused on their relationships with each other. Because, again, so much real estate is spent on different men who all suck. (laughs) So, like, Mm -hmm. I would just want better for these these women. And, yeah, as far as like the resolutions for them, it just feels like, well... The movie has to end in a wedding because it's a movie with romance in it. So we got to do that. Got to check that box. And it's like, you don't, though. You don't have to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, different different things like that. Um, make me want to give it a 2.75. I'll give one to Jojo because I love her. I'll give one to Leona. And I'll give my 0. 0.75 to like a hundred gallons of dead fish getting dumped into a Porsche. <laughs> Cause I, I wish that would happen every day. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, I'm going to do a hard throbbing three. <laughs> I, yeah, I really enjoyed this movie. It certainly has its issues. I wish that all the romantic plots ended differently. And I wish that there was more of a fuller picture with the mom. I wish you knew. I just wish you knew a little more about the inner life of each main character outside of their relationships with men. Mm-hmm. And even even though I guess with, with Kat and um, Daisy, you do have a pretty rich relationship that they have with each other as well. So I don't want to like negate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I, I don't know. I, I'm very inclined to be very nice to this movie because I like felt like bizarrely seen in it in a like a very specific mm-hmm. way of just like really intense poor people New England friendships. I was like, oh yeah, like that I I I know those. And like 
I, I really like how class is presented pretty frankly in this movie. I like that the the rich people are villains. <laughs> I, I don't know. They're they're just especially Daisy does all these things that I wish I could have done when I was younger and I just like couldn't do um, Mm -hmm. in terms of just like advocating for herself and speaking up and like knowing when she's being used and seeing so and then in Cat, I feel like I saw how a little more of how I actually was of like being very naive and not knowing how to advocate for yourself and wanting to you know impress people it's just like I wish you knew more about our main characters because they are so distinct and they have all these like really relatable recognizable traits and even though they're so different they have such a like undying loyalty to each other even when they're like saying the most horrific shit in the world to each other Mm -hmm. you know that there's like you never have a doubt that there is like baggage but there's also so much love and I just yeah I I really was touched by it I can't wait to watch it again Mm -hmm. and I want the shirt so I'm gonna put three (laughs) nipples uh there and, and then you know the whatever we we've we've talked through its issues and also there really should be a portuguese actor in this anyways i'm going to just give one nipple to each of the three main characters amazing hallie it was really interesting to watch this movie very thoughtfully for the first time (laughs) because i i think when i first watched it when i was like in my late teens early 20s the reason it took me took so long for the movie to grow on me was that I think I was just like, oh, haha, this is like a chick flick that I'm going to watch while I'm like painting my nails on the weekend and like just, I don't know, like pass an afternoon or something. And then I, I think I can be like, I don't know, kind of like pretentious with my film taste. And I think that I it took several viewings to like realize how much I loved this movie and like how how special I think it is. And I'm like biased in the way that it feels very like nostalgic to me and I I had never really watched it with like a feminist lens before honestly mm-hmm. um I had watched it just like for a good time <laughs> sure. um so it was really really cool and I really appreciate like the opportunity to to like have this whole conversation about a movie that's been kind of just like in the background of my life for a long time mm-hmm. of course, yeah yeah and I think I think I would agree with giving it three nipples. I think that it's definitely problematic in in so many ways. And like these women deserve better. I wish that we could see Amy Jones version. I wish that there was like an alternate universe where she directed it and we could, Mm -hmm. you know, I I mean, not that maybe it wouldn't be this movie like I that I love so much, Um, but yeah, I think that, like, it's sad that that didn't get to exist um, mm-hmm. and that she was, like, put through a ringer in such a way. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give my extra nipples, all of them, to Amy Jones because Yay. I think she really fought so hard for... It, it seems like she's fought so hard for everything that she's made and, like, ended up, like, having an incredible career despite it, but... Yeah, like she she totally deserved to direct this movie and mm-hmm. it seems like it was really important to her and she fought really hard to like have that chance and she still didn't get it. But mm-hmm. I'm grateful yeah. that we got to watch it seems like we got to watch the movie that was at least like loyal to her original script. But yeah. yeah. Shout out to Amy Jones. Come on the show any time. Seriously. <laughs> She's our biggest fan, obviously. So she will hear this. <laughs> Come and... talk about Beethoven with us. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh, yes. we should cover Beethoven. Beethoven. I'm not even October joking. on the Patreon. <laughs> yeah, I would love to know like the gender politics of Beethoven. So would <laughs> I. There's always like it's always those movies that you never expect that you're just like, wow, there's so much to talk about. See yeah. the Flubber episode. <laughs> totally. Um, I I do want to say like thinking about this movie through this like feminist lens is like for being from 1988 it could be unwatchable Mm -hmm. it could be like absolutely unwatchable and new movies like fall prey to the exact same shit like ending with a wedding or like the characters who shouldn't stay together do like Mm -hmm. I mean spoiler alert to all the boys I've loved before Mm -hmm. but like I remember watching like the third one and the whole movie I was like she's gonna break it off with him and like go off to college and have her like amazing life of being young and single in New York and she just like stays with him mm-hmm. long distance and I was so disappointed and it felt no, similar to, but like it's it's like hard to blame Mystic Pizza for for ending the way it does when movies now still can't resist ending in the wedding and ending in the like yeah. they're together forever like it's I mean, it's obnoxious. Uh, I hope we can get yeah. over it. When are we going to yeah. subvert that? <laughs> One really great movie just has to do it, and then everyone will do it. Right. They're like, it's so trendy right uh, now. Fine. I'll write it. Do it. <laughs> yeah, please write it, Caitlin. <sighs> um, well, thank you so much for being here. It was a treat to it's chat so with fun. you about Mystic Pizza. An absolute dream. I'm also very hungry for pizza now. So <laughs> um, where can people check out your work Tell us about your book, follow you on social media, all that stuff. Yeah. um, So my new book uh, is called Directions, and it is a book of advice and epiphanies and aha moments. It's kind of my, like, the product of my constant need to, like, record everything and try to save anything that's, like, helpful or, like, potentially, like, life-changing and... I hope that's an adequate description, but um, this book is really special to me and I'm really proud of it. And uh, it's the kind of thing that you can like pick up at any time and like maybe find something that will help and just help you like deal with the abject terror of existing at all and having like Mm -hmm. no idea how to do it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, uh, so that's my book. It's so beautiful. I love it so much. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, and you can follow me online. My handle is Halith Bates, which is just a made-up name that 2007 me thought of, and now I have it forever. Um, <laughs> H-A-L-L-I-T-H, Bates, B-A-T-E-S. So yeah, follow me and uh, go watch Mystic Pizza if you haven't. Mm-hmm. It's a great film. Yes. yes. And you can follow us on social media at Bechtelcast. We've got our Patreon, a.k.a. Matreon, which gets you two bonus episodes every month. Mm-hmm. Maybe Beethoven Vember is on the horizon. <laughs> you never know. We don't know. Anything could happen <laughs> on the Matreon. And uh, it's $5 a month. Uh, you get access to all the back catalog. Over 80 episodes extra. It's Good a real golly. Treat. And that's at patreon.com slash Bechtelcast. Uh, and you can also grab our merch at tpublic.com slash the Bechtelcast if that's something you choose to do. Um, I'm not going to get our merch this week. I'm going to probably end up 
waiting three days, then folding and buying a Mystic Pizza t-shirt. That's my normal system of (laughs) online shopping. Amazing. I'm going to go order a pizza. Love it. That's what I'm going to do for myself. Um, (laughs) Although I have this secret recipe. I don't even, why I should just make my own. Nothing's going to compare to that. (laughs) Caitlin, when you die, will you give us the recipe? You're going to give it to us, right? I'll think about it. (gasps) Wow. Leona was so much more open with her recipe. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Bye-bye. Hi there. I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards. Like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net.